Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we're pleased to be joined by Joe Nichols, Executive Director of the Connecticut Farm Bureau Association. Good morning to you. Good morning, Aaron, and thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Though we have had some rain recently, it hasn't made up for the drought conditions that have been making things difficult for many Connecticut farmers. Let's start with asking you how the state's agriculture industry is faring with the rain deficit. The rain deficit was certainly a major concern for all of our growers, especially as it, the drought conditions continued through the growing season and into, into the fall. Um, I did reach out to a number of our growers in the orchards and vineyards and um, some of our vegetable producers and uh, of course, our dairy farmers and grain growers. Uh, what I heard from many of the farmers is that it was a real challenge. They had to spend a lot of time on irrigation this year, um, a lot of time getting water um, to their livestock. Some of the larger dairy farms had to truck water into, into the farm so there's enough water for the, the cows and the livestock. It's our understanding that the, the, the biggest losses were in the, the larger grain farms, those farms that are growing silage, grains, uh, large fields with, with corn. Um, some of the sweet corn took a li- little bit of a hit this year, especially on those soil conditions that are droughty or on the larger fields where they didn't have um, irrigation in place. Those farms that the orchards and the vegetable growers, um, the berry growers, um, those farms just spent a lot of time making sure that they had adequate water supply to those crops. But some of the larger fields, I heard from one of the dairy farmers that they had about a 40% loss on some of their their uh, feed corn. So that's that's a really hard hit when the dairy industry has, has uh, had some challenges this year due to the trade wars and COVID and everything else that's hit them. You're absolutely right. Um, This was just another double whammy. Of course, when you're in farming, you're always watching the weather and that's that's always a challenge. It could be your best or worst enemy. It's good to hear that a number of farmers were able to, to save their crops, but I suspect that has taken resources and time away from other things they, they should have been doing. Absolutely. I spoke to one of their orchards and, and they were concerned one of their uh, irrigation ponds was running low on water. So there was 
a need to get that recharged. And absolutely, every time that you're you're spending more time on irrigation, it's um, you know it takes away from other things you have to do on the farm. But at the same token, you have to irrigate your crops so you don't have the losses. And and honestly, the farms really want to make their profit on on a saleable product. And, and not on, you know, the insurance or the disaster relief, although they deeply appreciate it, um, but they, they really want to have profitability on the product that they put all that money and sweat equity into growing. So that's why it's such a heartbreaker, heartbreaker when you get you get crop losses due to drought or, or weather events like this. This past week, we did get word that federal authorities have approved a disaster declaration for all eight counties in Connecticut related to the drought. What sort of help does that pave the way for for farmers? That allows through their local farm service agency to apply for the federal elite, federal relief program um, for these to offset some of these losses. So we encourage any of the farmers that have experienced losses, um, the grain farmers, the dairy farmers, really any farmer that has experienced losses to go into their local FSA farm service agency office, which is an arm of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and file the appropriate uh, paperwork so that they can apply for the uh, federal assistance. We, we deeply appreciate everything that's been done for our farmers this past year to help with the the variety of uh, assistance that's come their way. So much of this, what's happened this past year, including this most recent weather event, is so totally out of their control, no matter how hard they work. And we really appreciate the assistance that's come their way. And we urge all farmers that are eligible or have had the losses to go to Farm Service Agency and put their applications in. As you were listing all the the crops and commodities grown in Connecticut, it's quite a wide range. I mean, if you think agriculture in Connecticut, you probably think dairy, you probably think some fruits and vegetables, but remind us how varied and diversified it is. It can be everything from wine to shellfish. Oh, absolutely. And um, when we host uh, farm bureaus uh, from other parts of the country, which we often do, or even from other parts of our region, the Northeast, and they come to Connecticut. First of all, they don't often think of Connecticut as an agricultural state, but once they get here and they see the breadth of diversity that we have here, it just amazes them. So we have um, our shellfish industry, which our largest farms in Connecticut are actually under Long Island Sound, which are our lease beds um, for our shell fishermen. So we have a robust shellfish industry. We have fruits, vegetables, wineries, Christmas trees, all of our livestock operations, which include sheep, equine, uh, hogs, um, goats, llamas, alpacas. We have the third largest egg producer in the United States, which is in uh, my part of the state in East Connecticut. Hillendale Farms is the third largest egg producer in the country. And so we have a very robust poultry industry, which many people are not aware of. We have a, a robust forest products industry, Uh, People forget about all of the the forest products that come out of the state of Connecticut, not only maple syrup, but also um, 
lumber and, and all and bark mulch and all kinds of other forest products. And then, of course, we have our dairy industry, which is is critically important. We have tobacco. And that's really interesting to a lot of people that come to Connecticut. I think aquaculture really amazes them. And then the tobacco industry that we support um, due to the our, our prime soils in the upper river valley. And it seems hemp seems to be among the, the newer crops in Connecticut. That's correct. And really a call out to the Connecticut Department of Agriculture for working uh, so hard on getting the hemp legislation passed. So that is a, a new crop in Connecticut. They launched the pilot program a year or so ago. And now the governor just signed a more recent bill that now aligns our regulations with federal regs to allow the continued propagation of hemp. We think that's going to be um, an up and coming crop in in, in Connecticut, there are many growers that have applied for the license through the Department of Agriculture. Um, it remains to be seen, but we'll need the market for it, both on the on the oils and on the processing end of it and also on the fiber part of it. So uh, right now, I think the, the one thing that's lacking um, to really get a robust hemp industry is the, the processing end of it. But we like to say if you build it, they will come. So it, it won't be long before somebody figures out that uh, whether it's the fiber part of hemp or the, the oil part of it, that there's um, a profitability and a business to be built around that. So we really need the processing. And that's very similar to when more and more farms started to grow hops. And at one point, um, that was sort of a new industry in Connecticut because um, there's an increase in the microbreweries, which is really neat. And more and more microbreweries want to source their product locally. Um, and But we didn't necessarily have the processing facilities for, for hops and grains. And now we have uh, a pelletizer down at DeFrancesco's farm. They put in a pelletizer. So that helps pelletize hops for our uh, microbrewery industry. And then Thralls, um, which is a tobacco farm, put in a malting facility for grains. So our farmers in Connecticut are incredibly astute, really good businessmen, and also look at uh, ways to continue to profit um, from agricultural endeavors, including providing uh, processing opportunities for other growers. So we really have a wonderful network in Connecticut of uh, producers that work together also. How have farmers fared in Connecticut in the pandemic? I know it was really rough early on. It was very, very rough early on. And, and of course, uh, I mean, everyone is, was impacted by, by COVID. Um, back in March and April, the, the real big concern back then, of course, was all of agriculture, just what was going to happen. It was that sort of fear of the unknown. And I think we could have said that for just about every business sector in the state and even the United States. You know, I'm sure the restaurants and every business was thinking the same thing. Earlier on, our nursery and greenhouse industry, which is the largest sector, of one of the largest sectors of agriculture in Connecticut, um, they were very concerned. They had lost their Easter sales. Um, they weren't sure with biz, you know, things slowing down and everything shutting down, whether they were going to have the customer base with that. It turned out what happened with the greenhouse industry 
is that they lost their Easter sales and they did lose some production because their health didn't show up uh, because of health concerns. But then because so many people ended up working from home or being you know, restricted to home, their, the rest of their season just completely rebounded and people were buying all kinds of nursery stock and plantings because thanks to the governor, they kept the nursery and retail operations open. So people were able to, able to go to your local nursery or your no local garden supply. And uh, there was a, they just had ended up having a really good year once they got through the Easter season with those losses. Um, one of our growers said to us, one of our nurserymen said that um, tomato plants became the new toilet paper. It was pretty funny. Like you, you couldn't find starter vegetable plants anywhere. Everything was in demand. So that was good. The dairy industry really suffered because they had uh, were still trying to rebound from the trade wars, international trade wars that had impacted them. And then with the schools shutting down and the institutions and the restaurants, the dairy industry really, really, really took a hard hit this fall. I mean, this spring. And the um, thank you to our federal delegation for all of the assistance that came through, which really helped on the you know, the payroll protection and the idle loans, and then the many of the coronavirus food assistance programs. That all really helped the dairy industry. What we hear from dairymen is still the unknown. They don't they don't know what the future, what's going to happen, you know, come this season. So. Um, you know, they're always on, you know, worried about how milk pricing and, and demand is going to be impacted. But the federal assistance that came through helped them. The other industry that really got hard hit was our aquaculture industry. Our oysters primarily go into restaurants and the catering industry. And when the restaurants shut down, while they didn't lose their crop, their crop is, you know, living in Long Island Sound, they lost the market. And that industry has really been hard hit um, because of a downturn in the, in the restaurant and catering industry. Um, on, the, on the bright side, those farms that do direct consumer retail, while they had to reconfigure how to market their products and their farm stores and farm stands, just like all of our other retail establishments, there was a tremendous demand from consumers that wanted to go to their local farmer's market and pick up, you know, fruits, vegetables, dairy products, berries, whatever was coming into season. And it's uh, we've heard from many of our farmers that while it was a challenge to reconfigure everything and bring extra help in to um, maybe do curbside pickups or online orders and change the way they've done business, they really had a, a really good year. And again, reaching out to Connecticut residents, you know, it's great to see support for the local farms. Um, they appreciated consumers coming to them and they saw a really good year on the direct consumer market. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Joan Nichols. She is executive director of the Connecticut Farm Bureau Association. Agriculture, like so many other industries, had to figure it out on the fly during the pandemic. 
how many of these changes and, and new methods you think are going to stick around once things get back to normal? I think some of it is going to stick around those farms that did online orders or took orders on in advance. Um, I think that was a challenge for them, but that may, that type of um, activity may stick around. Uh, one of our farmers, Oak Ridge Dairy in Ellington, had already launched what they called the Milkman, and and he saw a, a tremendous demand for um, milk home del- milk delivery and home dairy delivery, and uh, we're hoping that that continues. People getting you know farm products delivered directly from the dairy farm. Mountain Dairy also does home milk delivery, and they saw an increase in their business. So uh, we're hoping that the dairy farms that do direct, you know, home deliveries will see that continue. Consumers seem to really like that. I think people have visited their farmers, local farm stands, and appreciated the quality and the freshness of the product. And and we're hoping that that, we're optimistic that's going to, that's going to continue. So um you know, I think it's it's created a, a renewed appreciation for having local farms. Most importantly, having a local food supply. Nothing is more frightening than going into your your local supermarket and starting to see the shelves empty. And while you know our farmers obviously aren't producing you know paper towels, um, it was good to know that you could go and you know at least get your fruits, vegetables, dairy products cheeses, that type of thing. And I think more and more farms are are getting into direct consumer retail and they have to, you know, reconfigure things. And um, but I, I think it's it's brought a renewed interest, I'm hoping, to the, the quality of life for all consumers as well as recognizing the value of, of how hard our farmers work to give them fresh food. What can the average consumer do to help the local farmer in Connecticut? Is it giving them predictability, knowing that, you know, that that market is still going to be in place for the next growing season by committing to a, you know, like a CSA share or something like that? Yep. The CSA shares are are great. Um, Many farms have offer CSA shares and that's great because it gives the farmer some money in advance um, to to get started in the growing season and the consumer knows that they're going to have product available. So that's great. Sometimes what happens is in times like these, we sort of look close to home and we support our neighbors and we support our farmers. And then, you know, as time goes on, we all start to go back to sort of business as usual. And while we would all, I think many of us desperately want to get back to business as usual, we want to make sure that when you go back to business as usual, you don't forget your local farmer and the market and the farm that was there for you during, during times like this. So I think it's just, you know, continuing the support and continuing to to support the farmers that were here for you when when things were really, really tight. I think many of them just really did did went above and beyond what they needed to do to get food out to their consumers. Now, I, I know it depends on what they're growing, but generally speaking, as the growing season winds down and we head into the cold weather months, what are Connecticut farmers doing this time of year? 
Well, some of our farms are, um, you know, we're, while Halloween and Thanksgiving may look a little different this year, like everything's looked different, we do have those farms that are selling pumpkins and, and fall squash and, and fall vegetables for the upcoming, you know, Thanksgiving season. Um, thanks to technology in agriculture, we're having more and more farms put up high tunnels so they can extend the growing season into the cooler weather. So we now have farms that may still be able to provide you with with greens that can withstand the, the colder temperatures if they're grown in a more controlled environment like a, a greenhouse or a hydroponic facility or even a high tunnel. So there's some farms that are really doing well at extending the growing season. And then we can't forget about our Christmas tree farms, which will be, you know, ramping up for the, the Christmas season. And what our farms did find is that there was really an overwhelming demand for people that wanted to come out and just visit the farm and pick your own. I was just at a local orchard this past weekend picking up cider donuts and the farm was really seeing a, a really steady stream of customers picking apples this time of year, which is apples are wonderful. Plus, it's just a really nice family activity. And the other thing we found, and even going back to the spring during the strawberry season, is the farms had to figure out how to get people onto the farm to enjoy the experience and pick product and still keep the people safe and distance. But because so many people were restricted at home, they really looked at the farms as a way to bring the family outside where it's safe, where it could be a nice family experience. So those farms that were opened up to pick your own operations, and just like now, the orchards are open up for pick your own and pick your own pumpkins. Um, that's what they're doing right now. And from what I saw, they're, they're having a really nice nice season because people want to be outside and it's a great experience. How important is farmland preservation in Connecticut? I, I know the real estate market is is actually quite hot in the pandemic. How important is it to preserve that land that farmers grow on for future generations of farmers and, and not turn it into, say, housing? It's absolutely critically important. American Farmland Trust just released a a report farms under threat and you know we we've lost 23,000 acres of farmland to a conversion to something else other than farming so the farmland preservation program there are a number of programs in Connecticut one is run by the Department of Agriculture USDA Natural Resource Conservation Service provides funding for farmland preservation. And then there are land trusts, uh, um, local land trusts, as well as Connecticut Farmland Trust, which is the premier nonprofit that focuses on farmland preservation. So there's many opportunities to conserve farmland in Connecticut for those farm families. It's critically important, especially in a state like Connecticut, where our land values are so high or a farmer, or whether it be new and beginning farmer or a farmer that's looking to expand and needs additional land, without the farmland preservation program where a farm family can, first of all, fulfill their wishes of protecting the farm in perpetuity, once that is protected, it also makes the land more available for other farmers at a reduced rate because the family has already um, received money from the sale of the development rights. So 
So first and foremost, it protects our working farm land base. There's the old adage, you can't make more of it. So it's critically important that we protect that land so it is available for food production and fiber production and also makes that land available for other farmers that are getting into agriculture. It's very challenging. Land access is a, is a big challenge for people getting into agriculture in Connecticut because of the price of, of land. So if they can purchase a, a farm that already has the development rights sold, it, it's, it's not certainly by no stretch of the imagination cheap, but it's a little bit more affordable than purchasing land where they may be competing with a developer or, or somebody else that wants to use the land for a more intensive nature. So it's critically, it's critically important. And you can see all the farmland we've already lost if you just ride up the 91 corridor between, uh, you know, up through the, the middle middle and northern part of the state, all that prime farmland we've lost to commercial and residential development, and you can't bring that back. She is Joan Nichols, Executive Director of the Connecticut Farm Bureau Association. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thanks for thinking of uh, Connecticut agriculture and our farmers. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.